Howdy, Hootah Thunkers. This is the host of the Hootah Thunkin' Podcast, Zeb Kamenacha, episode 172, titled Czechoslovak Legionnaires, a story that I wasn't really aware of until I came across a history meme that um, had some pretty bold claims about a, a certain legion in, during World War One era, and I wanted to look into it because it sounds like their escapades were amazing. Now, before we get into it, let's do that recommendation segment um, that where I recommend you check something out. This one does not have to do with the main event, um, but I thought it was pretty cool, and it's in the same lane in my mind as historical stories that are fascinating. This week, I recommend the book Empire of the Summer Moon. You know, Joe Rogan has been talking about this book for years now, and when he first started talking about it, I was like, yeah, that's cool. Not really my favorite kind of history. I like World War One, World War II stuff. Um, not really big into the the American West. Surprisingly, I, I, I haven't been. But I was surprisingly surprised to find a historically accurate book that is told from a narrative perspective. So it does go over um, a lot of the American West, about the Comanches and the uh, European an American advance westward um, from a uh, from a like a, a zoomed out perspective. You know, these people went here. These people. This happened in this state. This happened in this region. In this era, um, the Spaniards did this. The Mexicans did this. Yada yada yada. However, it does bring back to a narrative perspective every once in a while to keep you, the reader, or for me, the listener, more engaged throughout the story. The American West has more to tell than you think. So give this one a listen. Empire of the Summer Moon by uh sc gwyn is the name of the author so check that one out and yeah i have been listening to my more recent episodes yes i am aware that there's a technical like like glitch or something going on whenever I, <laughs> periodically throughout my episodes it'll sound like a a real loud like bzzz, and then it'll be like tick 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 as i'm talking that i think is just a mic i'm using i've gone through a couple mics now and <laughs> It's um, just the way it goes. This one's from five below. <laughs> it's surprisingly the longest lasting mic I've had. I can use my phone. That has worked out in the past. But then I have to use a headphone mic, and that sounds weird. So I don't know. This is what, we got. This is what we're working with, Huda Thunkers, <laughs> my uh, five below mic. Also, WordPress has been really annoying. I think it's because I've been using the free version for years now of WordPress. I like WordPress. It's a good thing. But I think they're intentionally making it annoying for me to write on it so that I'll buy it an expensive version. Um, when I go to write, it's super slow, it's laggy, it crashes on me. And I think if I buy like <laughs> the cheapest thing, which is like $4 a month, it's like 48 bucks a year. If I bought that, all my problems would go away and I'd be able to have my own domain. But I'm like, I don't want to spend, I don't make enough money off this podcast. So I'm having some technical difficulties, but I'm not, at least not yet. I'm not going to be asking you Huda Thunkers to pay a monthly subscription or give donations or anything like that. Um, not unless you say you really want to, but no, I'm not going to ask for that. I don't, I put, I do put time and effort into this podcast, you know, many hours a week, but it's just me and I'm doing it for fun. I'm not doing it, trying to make a whole bunch of money. I do, you will hear ads on here, but they're very few ads and <laughs> trust me, I do not make much money at all. I think in total, I've been doing this since before covid before the pandemic i think in total i've made like 50 bucks <laughs> so <laughs> i don't make much money off of it so i'm not going to be you know that's why the episodes have been shorter because wordpress is so annoying anyway enough for the announcements enough for the recommendation now for the main event the czechoslovak legionnaires and i do think this story is worth it it's going to be a long episode but i'm telling you this story was really cool i just kept writing and writing it took up most of my day i'm a little bit behind on work now but here we go World War I, or then as it was known, the Great War, started in 1914. So we're winding the clocks back over 100 years. 
the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which does not exist today, at the start of the war was vast, ruling over many different lands, many different countries. I have a, a picture or a map on the blog where I see how many countries it covered. You know, it goes into Poland, Ukraine, Romania, uh, modern day Italy, Austria, uh, Switzerland a little bit. So very big empire, empire and um, they ticked a lot of people off like empires do. The Czech and Slovak cultures were heavily uh, repressed by the empire and the grumbles of independence had already started before World War I. When it did break out, there were ethnic Czechs and Slovaks living in Russia, as well as the Austro-Hungarian uh, Empire's borders. The Czechs and Slovaks requested of the Russian Tsar to have their own Czechoslovak unit within the Russian army. The Russian Tsar understood the benefit of having a Czechoslovakian unit, unit motivated against Russia's um, Austro-Hungarian enemy. So Russia's like, okay, you Czech and Slovaks are in our borders. You want your own unit. You already hate our enemy, so why not? I'll just, why not fight for us instead of on your own? So that's what he did. They gave him their own uh, unit. He dubbed his Czechoslovakian force the Drozinia, translating to companions. At least that's how I pronounce it on YouTube. I think that's a good pronunciation. Drozinia, it means companions in Russian, which is pretty cool. Something you learned. The unit was created by 720 soldiers and 21 officers in September of 1914. He sent them to the front lines to fight alongside the Imperial Russian army. So we have very few dudes, like 741 soldiers, that's it, or 741 in total, 21 officers, and that's it. And just a very small part of a huge, like, huge war. By At that time, the largest war the world had ever seen. Fought amongst, mostly amongst three dudes <laughs> who were like cousins. You had Kaiser Wilhelm, the German emperor. He was fighting for the Axis along with the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Then you had King George V, King of England with the Allies. And then you had Tsar Nicholas II, Emperor of Russia. All related, all look very similar when you look in pictures. Um, they talked a lot about this on um, the, the King's Man, which is like a prequel to The Kingsman. Very, very fascinating movie. It was fictional. Um, I've recommended it before, but it talks a lot about World War One and these three cousins, um, the Emperor of Germany, the, the King of England, and the Emperor of Russia. Um, so if you want to get an idea of how weird the First World War was and how the whole world was brought into it, um, yeah, watch that movie. It's really good. It's a fictional movie, but a lot of things it talks about did happen. What Tsar Nicholas II, he's the, the Tsar of Russia, didn't anticipate was the long-term intentions of the Drzezina, the Czechoslovakian unit. The Drzezina didn't just want their own unit to fight their hated repressor, the Austro-Hungarians. They predicted this great war would be the downfall of the teetering Austro-Hungarian Empire and wanted a backup plan when that happened. They wanted to have their own people, their own unit to protect themselves. When their Austro-Hungarian imperial overlords fell, eventually by the end of the war, there would be land for the taking and they wanted to have their own unit to maybe try to you know grab some of that up with only those 720 soldiers and 21 officers making up the Dzinia unit they were designated for recon reconnaissance duty on the eastern front they're not big enough to go splash up against the front lines so they go check things out the reconnaissance it's a risky job but can be rewarding the czech and slovaks volunteers pictured on a patrol on the eastern front saw themselves as freedom fighters against an oppressive regime, but the Austro-Hungarian authorities considered them traitors to the empire. After all, the Austro-Hungarian empire did rule over their homeland. So they're hunted by both sides. The Russians are letting them fight for them, but the Russians aren't the biggest fan of these Czechoslovakians. And the Austro-Hungarians are like, you're fighting against us, but we control, 
we captured, we, you know, we, we, we took you guys over. You should be fighting for us. So Austro-Hungarians saw any of the Czechoslovaks. They hated them so much. They hung them right there on the spot. The 21 officers realized their numbers were so low that if they wanted to keep from being absorbed by Russian forces, they would need to grow their ranks and fast. They made many recruiting efforts in Russia, Russian areas with high Czech populations, while also convincing a large number of other en- of enemy troops in the Austro-Hungarian army to defect. This sounds astonishing, getting the opposite side to defect, uh, but consider the Czechoslovakian people were torn apart by two different empires that cared little for their cultures. It wasn't hard to convince men to stop fighting a horrific war between empires they hated and secretly take up arms with their own brethren, the Czechoslovakians. Not to mention the Czechs and Slovaks were treated well by the Russian Empire, so they were able to flourish there. Anyone on the Austro-Hungarian side was like, sure, I'll go to the Russian side if I have to pick. The recruiting or this recruiting led to an ethnically and culturally cohesive unit that also benefited from being well versed in languages and tactics of both the Russians and the Austro-Hungarian sides. So this small unit has a bunch of dudes from a different bunch of different places. They're all bilingual. They speak Russian. They speak German. And but yet they're all from the same homeland. So they all trust each other like a brotherhood even though they have all these different talents from all over the place and all over these different empires. Recruitment efforts were successful uh, where they only had uh, 741 in September of 1914. By April of 1916, they were 2,436 strong. They were no longer reconnaissance, but the Czechoslovakian Rifle Brigade. So they've been upgraded in uh, numbers and title and everything, which pretty good. Pretty good. I do have a couple maps on here. <laughs> I realized before doing this episode, I could not point out Czechoslovakia on a map. <laughs> so I put up some maps on the blog if you want to know where that's at. It's kind of like south of Poland, south slash east of Germany. It's it's north of like Italy, kind of north of Greece. So it's it's in there. It's in that map. In my mind, there's Europe. You got the ones on the Atlantic coast. Then you got Russia. Germany's in there somewhere. Poland's in there somewhere. And then it just sort of like bleh, a whole bunch of other countries that make up Europe. I'm American, so Europe is Europe. <laughs> There's slight differences between you all. Sorry. The Czech, the Czechoslovakia, Czechoslovakia unit was part of the famous Brusilov Offensive, the greatest battle of the, uh, for Russia up to up until this time. They lost 500,000 men, uh, Russia did. They attacked weak points in the Austro-Hungarian line and caused it to break in 1916. The Russian offensive saw 1.7 million men smash through the broken Axis lines. The Czechoslovak unit displayed great bravery and discipline uh, during the offensive, but the Russian and Axis side saw how cohesive a unit they were. So they started to make a name for themselves. Not many of them, just a couple thousand, but during this offensive, they were brave and they listened and, yeah, reliable. In 1917, another Czech regiment was added to the Czechoslovakian brigade, swelling the unit's numbers even more. Uh, By this time, the rest of the Russian forces were beaten, tired, and not too happy with their czar. But the Czechoslovakian morale was higher than ever. By March 15th of 1917, Tsar Nicholas II abdicated the throne. The Bolsheviks were starting to gain traction with the Russian people. Uh, Crack a history book if you want to know how this one played out. The Russian Revolution is fascinating. Um... The very first episode of this podcast was about one of the minor players in the Russian Revolution. Check that out. Episode one, hard to miss. Just keep scrolling down. We're at episode 172. So you got a bit, bit of a ways to go. The, Bolfe- uh, the uh, 
the Bolsheviks wanted to get out of the wars, and they were getting more of Russia's troops to see their side. The result, Russian troops were becoming unreliable. Uh, Russia's After Russia's 1917 revolution ended by the Bolsheviks seizing power, the Czechoslovakian situation inside what had been the Russian Empire became increasingly precarious. So where are they? They're in this sort of political limbo. The empire gave them their own unit, the Russian Empire, but now the Russian Empire is kind of gone. So what are the Bolsheviks going to do? That's kind of up to them. And the Czechoslovakians are thinking they might just kill us. It might be easier. It might just order our deaths. In July of 1917, the Kerensky offensive was launched. It would be the last Russian offensive of the war. It is as it destroyed Russian morale and uh, the empire was gone. But the Czechoslovakian unit gained a key opportunity here. They were in charge of a particular offensive task during the Kerensky offensive. They failed that that task, but their bravery spurred propaganda. They made the unit's already badass reputation soar even higher. The provincial government of Russia had enough on their hands and decided to unshackle the Czechoslovakian unit that had been placed on it by the czar. With their new popularity and now unrestricted from the government, the Russian government had way other, way other, a lot more other stuff on its hands, the unit grew faster than it had ever grown before. They added artillery batteries and, and uh, gained thousands of volunteers eager to join the unit they heard fostered a tight-knit brotherhood of badassery. So men looking for glory, hearing about this unit that was tight-knit and looked after their own, they're growing. By 1918, they were known as the Czechoslovak Legion, which is how I'll be referring to them from here on out, Legionnaires, Legion, Czechoslovak Legion, and they had about 40,000 strong. It was around this time that a guy named Thomas Masaryk founded the Czechoslovak National Council based out of Paris. Masaryk uh, wanted to build a homeland for his people, the Czechoslovakians. He wanted to build them a country of their own. With a Czech mother, Slavic father, and American wife, Masaryk was well-placed to rally for an independent Czechoslovakia. So he's a good political guy to go for this. He seems to be their leader. After World War I broke out in 1914, thousands of Czechoslovaks living inside Russia heeded Masaryk's call to fight along Russians against the central powers, which included Austro-Hungary. So think about that. All this, the whole reason why the Czechoslovakian unit became, became its thing was because of Masaryk, this politician trying to get them their own country. So they're fighting on two different wars. They're political war. Masaryk's over there trying to, in France, trying to get them their own country, getting the allies to back them. And then you have the boys, the, the unit, the legion, fighting physical wars, backing the people that would help them get their own country, but not really caring about the conflict itself. By October of 1917, the Imperial Russian government had lost command of the country to the Bolsheviks completely, a party that most did not see rising to power. Um, Lenin's little group of Bolsheviks, no one saw them taking over eventually, but they did. With Russia falling apart and the Austro-Hungarian Empire seeing the Czechoslovakians as traitors, the Legion was trapped and being hunted, trapped between two empires. Masaryk was a Czechoslovakian leader. He knew he had to get his ultra-badass fighting force, the only fighting force the currently nationless Czechoslovakian people had, out of the tumultuous Russia. So here's your legion. They got about, um, they hadn't reached their 40,000 yet, but they, ha they have quite the, quite the group of dudes here. They're stuck in between Russia, Austro-Hungarian in the middle of World War I. Russia is becoming increasingly unstable and unreliable. And Masaryk is over in Paris going like, these are the only guys who could defend this country I'm trying to create without a fighting force. We don't stand a chance. We got to get those guys out of Russia. That's the mission. Get them out of Russia 
get them to be with their people. Where else to send these his men other than France, the country that supported an independent Czechoslovakian nation and allowed Masaryk to start his Czechoslovak National Council? The French provided financial support to the Czechoslovakians, but only if they would help them fight the Germans. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> we Frenchmen will help you create your nation. However, these Germans are horrible and you need to help us fight them. I know lots of different countries in this story here. It's a lot. <laughs> you got the Czechoslovakians, which <laughs> today are two separate countries, peaceful, very close-knit allies. You have Czech and Slovakia, <laughs> two different countries today. Back in the day, though, they were Czechoslovak, <laughs> one unit, okay? You got them, you got France and, and England and all those guys and the allies, and you got Russia also on the allied side, but then Russia sort of flips to do their own thing, becomes Soviet instead of empire, <laughs> ruled by an emperor. <laughs> and then you got the Austro-Hungarians, which doesn't even exist anymore. A lot of different players, I know. What can I say? It's Europe. And like I said, I'm American. Europe, it's kind of all you're just fighting amongst each other. You're Europe. Just be Europe. <laughs> I just, what a crazy oversimplification. What can I say? I'm American. Russian had pulled out of the war due to the whole Russian revolution thingy. And they were France's ally helping uh, to keep Germany occupied on two fronts. So yeah, France needed any backup they could get against the Germans. So they needed the Czechoslovakians to help them as well. And Masaryk was like, cool, we will help you, but you got to give us some money. Get my boys out of Russia. So what did they do? So now France was like, you want a new country of your own? Well, We'll help make that happen, but you've got to get your asses to France to help us fight the Axis guys. Now, the Czechoslovak legionnaires were bad asses, and they were about 40,000 strong by this point with artillery and all, but they didn't think they could fight all the way across that huge Austro-Hungarian territory, enemy territory, the people that hated them, people that hung them on sight because they viewed them as traitors, to make it to France. That's what they would have to get through. About 2,400 kilometers to make it all the way to Paris. So what did they do? Well, they decided they would go the other way. Earth is a globe after all. You don't have to go one direction. You can go the opposite direction really, really far and get there anyway. I'm not joking. That is sort of their ploy here. They decided to travel to the Russian Pacific port of Vladivostok. So France is on the Atlantic coast in the Atlantic Ocean, right? They're like, we're going to go to the Pacific coast of Russia and go all the way around. It's 9,700 kilometers on land from their base in Kiev in modern day Ukraine. Then get a ship and sail it from the Pacific coast, the port of Vladivostok, and sail that from Pacific coast of Russia all the way over to France. Not a small journey, not a small journey at all. And consider they're between two empires that want them dead now. The Russians, they, they're kind of still letting them live. They're not, you know, they don't hate them. They have too much going on. Uh, but whenever they figure out their own stuff, they might want to kill the Czechoslovakians. The Austro-Hungarians definitely want to kill them and the Germans want to kill them. So they're stuck in between way deep in enemy lines, like thousands of miles behind enemy lines. And now they're like, we're going to travel around the globe to get to our allies. That is the legion here. They're crazy. They're awesome. In order to travel across all of Russia, they made an agreement with the Soviet government, this new brand baby Soviet government called the Penza Agreement. Basically, it said the Czechoslovakian legion could have safe passage through the Russian motherland, basically the entire country, if they're going from Kiev all the way to the Pacific, <laughs> all the way through the Russian motherland, as long as they gave up their weapons. Okay. That sounds to me like, hey, why don't you walk all the way across Wyoming? Just give us your your only means of defending yourself. It doesn't 
it doesn't bode well. Seeing Russia, and here's where it's even more difficult to do that, give up your weapons. Seeing Russia devolve into a bloody backstabbing nation in, in the midst of a civil war, the Czechoslovakian legion didn't trust the agreement. They expected Soviets to not keep their word, plus they were still fighting the Germans, so they needed their guns. And the Soviets thought the Czechoslovaks would join the white Russian rebels in Siberia. These white Russians were loyal to the now dead Tsar. Again, um, go back to episode one to hear about the craziest SOB of the Russian Revolution fighting for the white Russians. So the, the Legion was like, yeah, we're not going to give you all our weapons. We'll give you some, or at least they give up some of their weapons to appease the Soviets into letting them travel to the Pacific port of Vladivostok. The majority of their weapons they hid on the trains that they used to travel to Siberia. Oh, a lot's going on here. So you got Czechoslovakians fighting in World War I, but the people they're fighting for, the Russian Empire, falls apart. And they're like, okay, well, we want to go home. The new government took over the, for Russia was like, cool, we'll let you go home, but give us all your weapons. Just be passengers on our Trans-Siberian Railway. And they're like, okay, sure, wink, wink, let's keep our weapons anyway. So what happens next? The Legion cut a deal with Joseph Stalin. The, then the Bolshevik leader promised safe passage. The Czech and Slovaks surrendered most of their weapons. But as we said, they didn't. Along the way, they encountered way too many Soviet officials demanding bribes in a railway that was in horrible despair, uh, disrepair. Sounds about right for Soviet Russia. <laughs> we can't get anything right. By May of 1918, the Legion was scattered across thousands of miles of the Trans-Siberian Railway. Um, while the Legion traveled east to the Pacific, Hungarian POWs were now traveling west from the Russian-Siberian prison camps. Not, not nice places to be. On May 14th, the Legion met the POWs of their former imperial overlords. And things didn't go so well, as you might imagine. So here's the Czechoslovaks. They're meeting up with the people that used to repress them. They're now POWs. Don't They're you know not good. The Legionnaires recognized some of the POWs as men who were directly responsible for massacres of Czech wounded during the war. The Legion took revenge. The bloodbath was gruesome, and the news of it um, did reach Leon Trotsky, the Soviet commissioner of war. Trotsky immediately revoked the Penza agreement and ordered the Czechoslovakian Legion be arrested. The Legion was like, F that. You're not, we're not going, we're not being taken hostage by the Soviets. No, we don't trust you. They invaded the town of Chelyabinsk. We're going to call it Chelyabinsk, Chelyabinsk, where they had encountered the Hungarian POW. So right when they saw the POWs, things went south. There's a couple of different versions of what happened. We'll go over another version um, that I read about. But anyway, the Czechoslovaks meet those hungry Hungarian POWs. Things didn't go well. They take over the town that, that they met in, and the Legion was in full-on revolt against the Soviet uh, Russia. Legionnaires strung out along the Trans-Siberian Railway heard about their fellow Legionnaires' take um, takeover of uh, Chelyabinsk, and immediately started seizing towns and cities along the railway. One of the towns was the port of Vladivostok. So they do get this town, but now their men are all strung out. A lot had happened since the Legion left their base of Kiev, but the mission remained the same. Get the hell out of Russia and join the Czechoslovakian people that were now in France. So a lot's happening here. Um, now, now they're at war with Russia. Not just the Austro-Hungarians are chasing them. Now, or not just the Germans. Now, Russia. The people that once backed them are now after them. Other sources told the about the incident uh, at Chelyabinsk went down a little bit differently. Tensions were high in Russia as Russia collapsed into chaos. The eastbound Czechoslovaks brushed past freed Austrian 
and Hungarian prisoners of war headed west. In May, a freed POW flung an object at a Czech legionnaire, sparking a bloody brawl. Local Bolsheviks arrested the Czechs involved, but the legion wasn't having it and stormed in to free its comrades. Bolshevik leaders or leadership reacted furiously, demanding that Czechoslovaks be disarmed or, quote, shot on spot. So there's two different stories. One makes it sound like the Czechs were like, the Czechoslovaks were like, no, nah, let's kill these dudes. I recognize him. He's a he's a piece of crap. The other one says uh, that the Austro-Hungarian POW started it. Either way, bloodbath happened, and that's what started the revolt. That's what made the Czechoslovaks go, screw Russia. This is it. We knew it was coming. Let's do it. Let's do a revolt. This nationless legion, deep in enemy territory and needing to navigate around the world to reach their few allies, had managed to seize majority control of the longest single rail system in the world, stretching 5,771 miles or 9,288 kilometers across Russia between Moscow and Vladivostok. I'm talking about the Trans-Siberian Railway. That's right. Our legion had now taken control of the majority and some of the most important parts of the Trans-Siberian Railway in the middle of an enemy country. Needless to say, it had a major impact on the Russian Civil War, as one of their made major parts of transportation is now taken over by a complete third party. <laughs> the Legion was just trying to get the hell out of bloodbath, the bloodbath that was Russia during its Civil War, but in doing so had run the Reds, the Soviet Bolsheviks, out of Siberia, which made Siberia a safe haven for the czarist low, loyal white Russians. So, okay, they didn't mean to, but they, they had to. Oh, and after Trotsky ordered the Legion to be shot on spot, they decided to arm themselves as much as possible. So they stole an armored train from the Bolsheviks. And this thing is cool. Armored trains, <laughs> some of the least practical <laughs> war machines ever created. They can only go forward and backward. And a kid with like a hacksaw could dismantle the track and, and make it useless. But back in World War I, War trains were a real thing, and they were powerful, and they were badass. And the Bolshev or the uh, Czechoslovaks took one called the Orlik Little Eagle. It was wrapped in steel armor, and it bristled with machine guns and 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 bookend with two cannons. So it was a badass little train. I got pictures on the blog, and they loved this train. They started hooking up cars to it. Um, they started living their best lives on this war train. Legionnaires inside the Orlik, their journey east continued, but uh, while the Czechoslovak rebels were now virtually unstoppable. The going was slow. So the train's not very fast, but they were unstoppable. They got a war train. Um, with their newly acquired war train and now numbering 61,000 strong, they were on the road to Vladivostok port, something they'd set their eyes on years ago. The Legion by now, they're, you know, they're feeling good. However, like I said, Russian tracks not doing well, lots of people needing bribes. They had to fix, reinforce broken down bridges. They had to clear the tracks. They were fought by uh, Bolsheviks. They had to fight off attacks from the Bolsheviks. And uh, there's pictures of them wearing mosquito nets as helmets. <laughs> there's lots of mosquitoes in Russia. And all the while, these guys have the highest morale. There's pictures of them with huge smiles sitting in their train and blankets, freezing cold Siberia. Um, and you know, trainloads of Czechoslovak fighters soon made a home on the trails. That's what they did. They they became train dudes. They made one train car a bakery. They made another one um, like entertainment with things on the side written on them. They they decorated the cars with images of home. The doors depicts the uh, Prague castle above the message, "You glory of the Czechs, and you used to live, and you live." Oh, my screen just went black. It'll come back. Um, <laughs> you live and will live on in our hearts. Yeah, 
So they're just having all this, these things. There's no need for the leader to lie to them. These guys know what they're fighting. They're, they're fighting for their homeland to get back to their people. Another quote on the train that they put uh, painted on there. Death is better than the life of a slave proclaims another of the legionnaires wagons. So they were ready to fight until the very end. I even have a picture of legionnaires guarding a railway tunnel in Siberia at the behest of the Western allies. The Czechoslovaks were asked to protect the trans-Siberian railway and assist the white army in fighting against the Bolsheviks. So now, now the allies, the French, the English were like, Hey, could you actually back one of the sides of the Russian revolution or the Russian civil war? We want you to fight for the czar, for the loyalist. Hmm. Not great. It's not really their fight, but they did for a little bit. That's when the Romanov story comes into play. It's a small but historically impactful detour on the story of the legions, uh, the legion. It, and they do have a part in it, but Tsar Nicholas II, we talked about him before, he abdicated the throne, and his family, the Royal Romanovs, had been kicked out of Moscow to make room for the Soviets. They had been moved to a town called, let's try this, Yekaterinburg, <laughs> just about 230 kilometers from the Czechoslovak-held town of Chelyabinsk. So they're very close to the Czechoslovak people. The Czechoslovak people, they're basically now are a unit way deep within the Russian um, way behind enemy lines, but they're there for the allies. So they're like, I don't know, like this odd place to help out the allies. The Romanis, the Romanovs and their allies, including England and France, hoped that the Czechoslovaks would be able to launch a rescue mission to save the royal family. The Czechoslovaks were allies with the French uh, and the English and the Romanovs had family in England that would have welcomed them. The Czechoslovaks were already heading to France there was lots of hope that they would make it out, you know. Why not scoop up the Romanovs on your way out to the Pacific? But the Soviets knew this was the plan, and they took action. Under Vladimir Lenin's personal command, the last Tsar of Russia and his entire bloodline was executed by firing squad in a dark and dank basement in July 17th of 1918. Their remains were buried in the Siberian wilderness and with no gravestones. The Soviets convinced that them, uh, the, the Soviets convinced that they were being rescued and just shot them instead. Um, that's how they did it. It's like, hey, Romanovs, you're going to be rescued. Come down here and just shot them. It's pretty brutal. So that's what happened to the Romanovs. Um, the Czechoslovak Legion arrived just five days later after they were executed to find the room where they had been killed and no remains, no bodies, just torn up wall where they had been shot. I have a picture of that wall. It's pretty bad. It wasn't until 1991, after the Soviet Union collapsed, that the Romanov bodies were recovered. The state's investigative team found thousands of bones and other relics from the imperial family, and DNA analysis soon confirmed they were in fact the Romanovs. This scene was recounted in Netflix's hit show, The Crown, where Queen Elizabeth learns about the fate of her distant family. So if you're a big fan of The Crown, like my wife is, and I saw that, um, that's the whole story, uh, not the whole story, but that's the story behind that scene where Queen Elizabeth finds out the Romanovs were murdered and those were her remains. I'm not the biggest fan of the crown. They talk about a lot of frou-frou-y stuff, and I think a lot of the things the um, the uh, English monarchy does is boring, but some of the historical stuff like that was really interesting to me. While uh, with the Romanovs dead and the Soviets gaining more power by the day, the Red Army fought back. They defeated the Legion at Samara, and force them eastward. So now the Legion's losing. They're not winning everything now. Legion, the Legion held on as long as they could, fighting bravely, but the morale was badly bruised after, you know, their 
so long, so many years in enemy territory. Then on October 28, 1918, Czechoslovakia was granted statehood. The Great War was coming to an end. So, yeah, they lost a couple battles to the Soviets, but the Legion's like, we have a home. It's official. We have a country, and this war that sucked us into this is coming to an end, and it's apparent. The Legion was now deep in Russian territory, far away from the homeland that they had wanted for so long that now exists, but they just, they're not there yet. While the Legion had uh, been allies to the white Russians during their time in Siberia, they were tired of fighting Russians with Russians and been caught up in politics that had nothing to do with their own people. They just wanted out. The mission remained the same. Get the hell out of Russia and join their people. So when Admiral Kolchak who had overthrown the white Russian government in Siberia, established a bloody dictatorship in its place, and was losing the Russian civil war against the Soviet Red Army, asked if he could get on the Czechoslovakian-controlled Trans-Siberian Railway. They said, sure, why not, old Kolchak, our power-hungry ally, who doesn't seem to know how to run a government and hasn't done much of anything to help us get to our newly created and undefended homeland. Come on aboard, dude. The Legion called a truce with the Red Army, and handed Kolchak over the first opportunity they got. Kolchak was promptly executed. But the Legion's like, not our problem. Lots of people been dying. We just want to get home at this point. <laughs> In return, the Red Army gave the Legion safe passage to the Pacific port of Vladivostok. We've heard this before. <laughs> um, oh my gosh, I just blanked on his name. Stalin had already given them passage before with the Presna Agreement, but he's doing it again. The same port that they had set out for years, like years ago, they've been setting, they've been trying to get to Vladivostok, get all their men spread out to Vladivostok for years now. Last time they had this agreement, didn't go so well, but they kept getting caught up in Russian civil war stuff again, a conflict that had nothing to do with them. Wisely, the Soviets didn't try to take the Czechoslovak's guns this time. They let the Legion go armed to the teeth, to the teeth. They let them take their own stolen war train <laughs> to the Vladivostok. Uh, port because the Red Army's like, these Czechoslovakian legionnaires are badass and we're tired of worrying. We, we hate them. They're such a pain. Just let them go. Just let them take whatever they got and get the hell out of Russia. So now they're, <laughs> I love it. The Red Army and the Czechoslovakian agenda is now aligning. Get the hell out of my country. <laughs> the Legion had about 50,000 soldiers, 50 to 60,000 soldiers at this point, and they weren't all together. They were spread out, defending their one bargaining chip that they had throughout this Russian Civil War, World War I, the Trans-Siberian Railway. And so they had to spread out in order to keep control of it. And pretty amazing, 50,000 dudes controlling an entire railway at this point. That's really impressive. One of the most important things Russia could have had. Like, once again, these guys were badass, but the whole reason they were to do what they were doing is because Russia had their civil war in their hands. They had a lot going on. So it took over a year until the last of the legionnaires made it to Vladivostok. Along the way, the Allies kept pestering the Red Army, uh, which slowed the legion's evacuation. And the Allies kept asking them, hey, we want you to fight the Red Army. We want you to fight the Red Army. You know, we need you to do that. The Allies tried to get the legion to fight the Red Army, but the legion was done fighting other people's wars. They didn't take the bait. The mission stayed the same. Get the hell out of Russia and get to their people. By March 1920, the last Czechoslovak train made it to Vladivostok, their destination that they had for three years to get over there. I have pictures of Vladivostok. It's a dark, dreary place. It's Russia. It's cold. It's really cold. <laughs> I have pictures of the Legion's boarding at Vladivostok. 
the Czechoslovaks left behind some 4,000 dead, which sounds like a lot, but over how many years since they've started fighting? They fought in World War One. They fought the Russian Civil War. They're deep in enemy territory. They held. They were spread out. They only lost four thousand men. Took with them over a thousand local women who they had then married while they were living in Siberia. So they got these beautiful Siberian lady, Russian ladies. They're taking them. They're like, "We're out of here, Russia. We're out." And I, it's it's a it's a it's a happy ending. <laughs> the Czechoslovakian Legion was formed in September of 1914 under the Imperial Russia because it had no country of its own. The next three years, it spent fighting in some of the most bloody battles of the Great War. In 1917, the Russian the Imperial Russian Army was no more overthrown by the Soviet Red Army. So the Legion uh, set their sights on France to link up with uh, with Masaryk and the Czechoslovakian National Council, their people. Literally caught in the middle of Russian Civil War, the Legion seized control of the the great Trans-Siberian Railway so did not get swallowed up by the Russian White and Russian Red War. They spent three years deep behind enemy lines until they were able to get their last man out of Russia. In the end, 60,000 Legionnaires made it out of Vladivostok and another 10,000 refugees refugees. They made it to Europe and received heroes' welcome as they strode into their new homeland. These 60,000 legionnaires, these battle-hardened veterans, these badasses, formed the new Czechoslovakian army to defend their new homeland, and to this day, they have not given it up. It still exists. Now, like I said, it is not Czechoslovakia anymore. It's Czech and Slovakia, two separate countries, but they're buddy-buddies. They're really close. Their journey from the eastern front of the Great War across Siberia, finally to a new nation in Europe, is astonishing. Churchill wrote about these ultra-tough men, quote, The pages of history recall scarcely any parallel episode at once so romantic in character and so extensive in scale. Theodore Roosevelt wrote, The extraordinary nature of whose great and heroic feat is literally unparalleled, so far as I know, in ancient or modern warfare. I have pictures of legionnaires guarding a train in Siberia in negative 40 degrees Celsius uh, day. Fun fact, negative 40 degrees Celsius, negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit are the same. Um, if you do the math, they link up at negative 40, they link up. By the autumn of 1918, World War One was over and the legionnaires' distant beloved Czechoslovakia had been declared an independent nation. So they, this picture I have of these guys, this negative 40 degrees Celsius, they're freezing their asses off. They're way behind enemy lines, but they're happy because World War One was over and they knew they had a home to try to get to. When morale was low, they heard the, the Great War was over. World, the world hadn't ended and they have a homeland to fight for and they fought their asses off for it. Um, after weeks at sea, the legionnaires of Russia finally returned to their independent homeland under its new president, Thomas Garik Masaryk, the guy from before. Um, and he's in the, the, the car I have um, during his 1918 inauguration in Prague. What a wonderful story. A century later, the Czechoslovak legions travel, travels and what trials in Russia are remembered with a traveling museum and immortalized uh, and monuments and its reliefs on Prague building, uh, Prague's buildings. So you'll find monuments all over Ru or Europe and, and Prague. Czech and Slovak fighters on the Eastern Front in 1916, they look beaten and battered. Now, I got quotes from Churchill, I got quotes from Roosevelt, but one of the best quotes is from one of the Czechoslovakian legionnaires themselves. From the safety of Czechoslovakia, and after the communists had seized full control of Russia, one legionnaire recalled... The brother, quote, the brotherhood of the Czechoslovak Legion was a thing at which to marvel. 
Nothing could shake the confidence of the legionnaire in himself and his brothers. And so we were able to stand firm in the heart of the Bolshevik ruin and for all practical purposes remain untouched by its doctrines. Yeah, they came out of it and they weren't even communist after all that. <laughs> now I'm going to read from the meme that got me interested in this whole thing. It's a picture of Jon Snow from, uh, I just blanked on it, Game of Thrones, but they put the <laughs> Czechoslovak legionnaire flag emblem over it. Um, 60,000 Czechoslovak legionnaires leaving Russia in 1920 after fighting behind enemy lines for two years, occupying all of Trans-Siberian Railway, winning the first Czechoslovak naval battle, and capturing the Russian gold reserve, all while being heavily outnumbered by the Red Army. That's right. This story that's that this meme is talking about, they uh, captured the Russian gold reserve. <laughs> they fought a naval battle, the first Czechoslovak naval battle win. <laughs> yeah, and I did. Th this is already such a long episode. I didn't cover those things. Um, even some of the sources were like, well, yeah, we're not even going to get into the gold reserve thing. That's crazy, but it's almost like its own separate thing. But yeah, <laughs> basically, they captured like the American, ver the Russian version of the America's um, Federal Reserve. Like the reserve, their gold reserve, they stole, they captured it. <laughs> That's how they had all the money and the train and all that stuff and funding people. And all this is happening deep within Russia behind enemy lines. And I can only imagine Masaryk over in Paris or, you know, the, the, the French and English allies or the American allies just going, what are these dudes? How are they still alive? And they thought there's no way they'll make it out. Only 4,000 of them died crazy crazy they had something to fight for and they did and they they loved each other they knew who they were they were friends and neighbors who've been oppressed for centuries so yeah that's the czechoslovak legionnaires don't mix with czechoslovakia dude <laughs> uh, thanks for listening who to thunkers i knew it was a long one but haven't done a long like long one uh, research heavy one episode like this in a while i've been making pretty sparse like i said crappy mic crappy wordpress free version but thanks for listening until next time.